We are starting a new series today. It's called Last Words. We're going to be looking at the seven last statements Jesus made from the cross. Uh, if you examine all four Gospels, Jesus made seven statements after he was nailed to the cross. Three of them are in the book of Matthew. Three are in the book of Luke, uh, or in the book of John. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, and then one is in uh, Luke. Uh, and then, I'm trying to think, no, I got that wrong. I'm, I'm totally screwing it up. Three are in John, three are in Luke, one is in Matthew, and then Mark just describes the situation and doesn't show uh, what Jesus actually said uh, from the cross. Uh, but we're going to be examining those seven statements over the next seven weeks, one statement every week, uh, and the principle uh, that, that, that goes along with those statements and the depth that goes along with those statements. You see, I don't know if you've ever observed it, but there's no, nothing on accident in Scripture. It's all there on purpose. Uh, and so the fact that there are seven statements Jesus made from the cross that are written down by three different authors uh, shows us the uh, intentionality that went into God's inspiring these guys to write this stuff down. But in looking at these last words, obviously these last words of Jesus from the cross, these are famous last words, but throughout history there are quite a few famous last words that have been baked into our cultural understanding. And at the beginning of each one of these uh, uh, messages of this series, I'm going to share one of the famous last word stories throughout history. Uh, and we're going to look at <clears throat> and just see uh, how impactful those words are, but just how much more impactful the words of Jesus are comparatively. Uh, there was a young man back in 1755 was born to this family. His name was Nathan Hale. Uh, some of you will know his name. Um, Nathan Hale uh, was, was a very, very bright young man, so much so that he started his freshman year at Yale when he was 14, and he went to Yale for four years and excelled phenomenally. He graduated at 18 and got a job as a teacher, relaying all that genius education that he had, but right about then, the American Revolution broke out. And a lot of his buddies were joining up. Uh, Nathan wanted to join up desperately, but he also wanted to fulfill his contract, the commitment he made to teach. Well, he stayed on teaching for a few years. And then uh, in 17, it was 1776, he was 21 years old, uh, he joined up in the very first regiment of American spies. I've got the name of the group. They're called the Knowlton Rangers, uh, the very first group of American spies. And it was a very interesting group of people. Well, they were in New York with the Continental Army when Washington was fighting there in New York against the British. And the British won the Battle of Long Island there. And Washington was on the other side uh, of the island, and he wanted to retreat he didn't want the Continental Army to be wiped out right here at the beginning of the war and do away with the, the potential uh, opportunity of America. And so uh, he wanted to find out if the British were going to cross into their section of New York City and come and obliterate them. And so Washington went to Knowlton's Rangers. He went to the spies and he said, I need one volunteer to cross enemy lines and, and find out what they're doing. Find out if, if they're preparing to come over here. 
Well, it's one of those situations when people ask for a volunteer and everybody kind of looks down because they don't want to make eye contact. And nobody was volunteering except for Nathan. He immediately raised his hand. And he said, I'll, I'll go for you. And he didn't hesitate. He raised his hand and Washington said, okay, you're my man. So they popped him on a boat. They took him across enemy lines and dropped him off in, in the middle of the night. And he began to work potential contacts to figure out what the plans for the British were. But in the process of that, uh, in New York City, some people who were loyal to the Americans uh, set the city on fire. And up to a third of the city was burned because they were trying to block the British and allow Washington to retreat. Well, in the aftermath of the fire, the British were going around talking to people, making sure people were okay. And one of those guys seemed, felt like he recognized Nathan Hale, who was there, and began to talk to him for a little bit. Uh, and in talking to him, some of the details in what he was saying led this British officer to conclude this guy is with the American army. And so they grabbed him and they arrested him. And they took him back, tortured him a little bit, and uh, trying to get information out of him. Well, he wasn't going to tell them anything. And ultimately, it came down to this moment where they were saying, fine, we're not going to get anything from him. So they took Nathan Hale out, and they marched him out in front of the entire British army that was there. And it, it, to me, shows character. As he's being led out in front of the British army, he, American spy, is trying to encourage the British forces. And he's telling them, guys, you just need to do what your commanding officer says. You all just follow orders and do what they say. I know it's hard. It'll be difficult some days. Just do what they're telling you to do, and, and you'll get through it. And so he, they're leading him out, and they lead him up to be executed. And he's standing there, and he's surrounded by British officers. And they ask if he wants to say anything, and he makes several statements. But the last thing he says before they kill him is, I regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. And then they execute him. Well, one of those guys who was standing there met the next day to discuss a potential truce with some American officers and relayed the information relayed the last words of Nathan Hale that he spoke there on the gallows. And that has been embedded into whatever American history class you've ever had. Undoubtedly, you've heard of Nathan Hale. But what shocked me in hearing his story, reading his story, was I guess I never paid attention close enough to understand his age. Uh, that in, in the midst of all of that, he was 21 years old when he died. And he said those words with great resolution, with great fortitude, knowing what was coming, he still made that statement. I regret that I have one life to lose for my country. And those words still resonate today in how we live, in the, in the, the courage and bravery with which we make the steps in our life today. You see, we look at somebody like that who knew what was coming, his death, was moments away. And then we look at the life of Jesus and we know he knew his death was moments away. He knew the moment he came into the world, that he came into the world to die. And he knew that his whole life. That was the reason he came, was to die and raise from the dead. And yet he still came, and yet he still loved, and yet he still ministered, and yet he still taught, and yet he still reached out to everyone. Even those who betrayed him, he still called Judas to be a disciple. He still loved on those other 11 disciples knowing they were going to abandon him. He loved 
greatly. And yet he was taken, he was arrested, he was beaten, best we can tell, beyond recognition. And he was taken to quite possibly the most brutal form of execution in the history of humanity. The Romans, in coming up with this idea of crucifixion, would try to keep the people alive as long as possible so they could suffer as long as possible. And Jesus was taken, he was nailed to this cross, and he was raised up to be crucified. That's where we're going to look today in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 33. We're going to read these last words of Jesus, the first ones that he said from the cross. Luke 23, verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. So the, the seven last statements from the cross, you line them all up. As best we can tell, this was the first one he said. It may not have been, but it appears to be that way. They nail him to the cross, and what they, they dug a hole. They would pick the cross up, and they would drop it in the hole. So those nails that are in his wrists and in his feet, as he's dropped into the hole, are dragging, and there's pain. And as he's dropping into the hole, he says, Father, forgive them, when the pain is coursing through his body. Pain from the beating, pain from the nails, pain from the cross, emotional pain from the abandonment of his disciples, the mockery of the people on him. Father, forgive them. Have you ever had somebody do something to you, sin against you, offend you, say something, work against you? And think about it in this way, that it is the most difficult thing you've ever been through. Was your gut reaction to say, I forgive you? No. Gut reaction is probably something else that you don't want to say out loud in this room. Jesus, first thing out of his mouth, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. This is phenomenal for a whole lot of reasons we're going to look at. But he says, forgive them. But they don't know, I mean, the, the implication, they don't know the full depth of what is happening right now. They just see the physical. They just think this is another public execution. They don't know all that goes on in the midst of this process. Father, forgive them, even though it's hard, even though what they're doing to me is terrible, even though the pain is excruciating and I've never experienced anything like this. Father, forgive them anyway. You see, Jesus' forgiveness knows no bounds goes to anybody and everybody, irregardless of what's been done, even to the very guys who executed him. His forgiveness flows freely and continually. And then we are challenged. We, if we are followers of Jesus, we are challenged to look at that kind of forgiveness that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have received. And then we are challenged and commanded to do the same. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So that forgiveness we receive from Jesus because of the cross, we're supposed to offer to everyone around us. Forgiving one another 
Now, is there something, is it, do you, do y'all, I mean, maybe your translation shows parentheses and it says except that one person who really, really got you good. Did, your, did anybody have that translation? No, no, okay. I don't either. But it's forgiving one another, comma, as God in Christ forgave you, period. So that same forgiveness that we have because of Jesus' death, we're supposed to give unequivocally, without qualification, to everyone, everyone, even the person who sniped about you on social media, even the person who got you fired from that job one time, even your parents who did that thing to you when you were a kid and you never forgave them for it. Even that person who, who did the thing, that, yes, they should be punished for that thing, and they are, but that doesn't mean you should not forgive them. You should. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something we should hold over somebody. It's not something that we should hold like we are, <laughs> it shouldn't be weaponized. Say, I will only give it to you if you do X, Y, and Z for me. Jesus didn't do that for us. See, before any of you people in the room, before I was born, Jesus died for us. And he offered forgiveness for free, knowing in advance that I was going to sin a whole bunch. Knowing in advance I was going to turn my back on him in that sin. He still offered the forgiveness before I did any of it, knowing it was coming. And that there are times all of us refrain from full forgiveness. We may say it, we may say it until we feel it kind of deal, or we may say it while still holding back some ill feeling in the depths of our heart, in the deep, dark corners. We put it in a room of our hearts and we close the door, we just hold on to it and don't release it. But what ends up happening in doing that, it puts us in bondage. It puts us in prison, and it doesn't allow us to have the full freedom Christ intended us to have. And we're going to look at that idea in uh, Matthew chapter 18. That's where we're going to be for the rest of this message. Matthew chapter 18. It's on page 823 if you grab a Bible off the pew there. And if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible home. That's your Bible. Keep it. Write your name in the front of it with one of those little golf pencils in the pew. That's your, your Bible. But we're going to be on page 823, Matthew chapter 18, the bottom right corner of the page. Jesus has been teaching his disciples some stuff and, and trying to show them the way. And Peter comes up with this question. This is often the case. Verse 21, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. How many times do I forgive him? Seven, as many as seven times? What's fascinating about this is actually the Jewish teachers were teaching of that day, and we have their commentary. What they taught was you could forgive up to three times, and if they offended you a fourth time, that's on their own heads, and you're not responsible for forgiving them any longer. And so Peter here is saying, so Jesus, everybody's telling us three times is enough. How about seven, Jesus? That's the complete number, Jesus. How about seven you know, almost like, we can't read Peter's mind, but making himself out to be extra spiritual. More than twice as many as the Jewish leaders are saying, Jesus, seven, that's the, that's, that's the holy number. I can forgive him seven? 
And as though to say to Peter, you're missing the whole point here, Peter. (laughs) You're number seven. Like, you're supposed to double that in imagery, not like 14, but seven and seven. That is absolute, complete, never-ending, always. The idea Jesus is saying is, in, in, in saying it the way he phrases it using this turn of phrase, is he's saying, yeah, not just seven times where they do number eight and you don't forgive them anymore, but infinity times. Peter, you're missing the idea is don't keep count. Just keep going and keep going and keep going and don't stop. And then Jesus gives him this parable to illustrate what he's talking about, as he often did. And the thing about parables, you got to understand, parables are not allegories. The way Jesus taught with parables is, is in general, with a few exceptions, in general, parables taught one principle. They taught one general principle. And the question Peter is asking is, if a brother, if, if a fellow human being does something against me, how many times should I forgive this person? So it's a relationship between two human beings. And Jesus gives this parable to talk about that specific issue. Look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, let's get into that for a second. So the king brings in these servants to ask, or to find out how much they owe and they get paid back. But 10,000 talents is a massive amount of money. I mean, if you were to take it literally, that's like in today's money, give or take, two and a half billion dollars. But I want to go a little deeper here because 10,000 was the largest number they had in their numerical system. They didn't have 10,001. It went up to 10,000, that was it. And talent was the largest amount of money they had at the time. But 10,000 also literally means countless like so big you don't know how much is there so the idea Jesus is saying is this guy owes like bajillion dollars like infinity money they would use that like we use infinity I mean he owes so much money you can't even say it and he comes into the king and so he owes all this money look at verse 25 and since he could not pay His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment to be made. So they they would get sold into slavery to try to recoup some of this absolute crazy amount of money. And and, and look at the first part of that verse. And since he could not pay, because Jesus is saying, obviously he can't pay back this money. He was going to be sold into slavery. But the servant's response, verse 26, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Have patience. Now, this is an important phrase. I want you to remember. Have patience with me, and I will pay. I will pay you everything. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, that word pity there literally means to have a deep, loving compassion. So the king sees the man's apparent repentance and forgives him the debt, has a deep loving compassion for the servant and forgives him this massive debt that he's accrued of infinity dollars, bajillions and bajillions of dollars, and forgives him this debt. Verse 28, 
But when the same servant went out, now the way this is phrased, it's as though the servant, first servant, comes in, is forgiven his debt, gets up, and the second he walks out of the door, this is what transpires. The second he walks out of the door, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which would be equivalent today of, give or take, somewhere in the range of $4,000. So remember, he owed 2.5 billion, bajillions and bajillions, infinity amount of money. And so he goes out and sees a guy who owes him 4,000 bucks. Having just been forgiven everything, uh, and seizing him, began to choke him, grabs him by the neck, saying, pay what you owe. Now look at the imagery in verse 29. See if it sounds familiar. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Exact same scenario as before. He fell on his knees, pleaded with him, and the things that come out of his mouth, even in the original language, are not only the exact same words, they're, I mean, in Greek, word order shifts and changes based on what's most important in the sentence. But it's the exact same word order as what the first servant said. So it should have triggered something. The first servant just said this literally less than five minutes ago. And now the, he's, he, the second servant is saying the exact same words to him. Uh, verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all, that word's important, all that debt, because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. That word literally means torturers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. <laughs> we look at that and we say, obviously, servant number one was the bad guy. He got his debt completely wiped out. And then he goes out and can't forgive comparatively what is a small debt. And remember, the parable is about the relationship between those two servants. That's the point of Jesus saying the parable in answer to Peter's question. How many times should I forgive? But the servant received forgiveness for all. He received forgiveness for all that he had. So because he received forgiveness for all, he should have been able to forgive all. He received all this forgiveness, and so all the forgiveness he had should then have been channeled, and, and he should have been able to offer all forgiveness to anybody and everybody. Because given forgiveness ought to match received forgiveness. Given forgiveness ought to match received forgiveness. Instead, this servant chose to greedily hoard the forgiveness for himself and only offer a tiny amount. Not even a tiny amount. He, offered, uh, he didn't offer any forgiveness. His, the forgiveness that he had after having been offered forgiveness was not enough even for a tiny amount. He had received forgiveness for all but did not have enough to offer to somebody he just came across right outside. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Um, I need somebody to be Jesus. I know Jonathan was Jesus. I don't, don't roll your eyes. I'm not going to pick Jonathan. He won't be Jesus. Uh, Brandon, will you come be Jesus for me? 
I think I've had you be Jesus before too, but that's okay. Go and come on. Brandon's going to come be Jesus. And uh, uh, Don, since you're, since you're sitting close today, will you come help me a minute? You're not Jesus. Yeah. I know your wife posted the other day that you're Santa Claus, but you can come up here. So here's Jesus. Now, Jesus, I've got something right over there that represents forgiveness in that container. Will you bring them over just one at a time? Yeah, right there. Just bring them over one at a time. So Jesus, this is, we're going to say water. As we saw recent, you know, I think it may have been last week, water is going to represent forgiveness. So Jesus is often just bring them over, set them here, just start bringing them over. He's offered me forgiveness. What brings life to me? But now I've got somebody over here who's done me wrong. Or maybe it's been my perception that he's done me wrong. And he's desperately thirsty for what I've got that Jesus has freely given to me. Good job, Jesus. Keep going. And he needs what I got being desperately thirsty. But the idea that Jesus is illustrating in this is even though Jesus keeps bringing me what I need, and no matter how much I take and, and use and give out, keep going, good job. He's going to keep bringing it. And so he comes to me desperately thirsty. Here, hold out your hand. He's saying, I need that. I need what you have. Say, well, you need what I have, right? Well, I'll give you some. Oh, it's a little too much. There you go. Okay. Good thing I washed that eyedropper. <laughs> Say, he keeps, y'all don't have any idea how much I got over there. Jesus, no matter how much I give away, Jesus is going to keep bringing it. He's going to keep bringing it to me. And he came begging. He came desperately in need. And I've got all this and more. As Jesus, no matter how much I give out, Jesus is going to keep bringing it to me. And I just offer, I give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you more. He's desperately thirsty, and I give him one drop. Is that going to be enough to quench the thirst of somebody who's desperate? No. When Jesus has given me all this and, un, and untold more, I only offer that much. Not enough, right, Don? No. And even now, are you a little thirsty right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not going to help you at all just giving you one drop. It's not going to do anything for you. And I've got all this, and I don't give you anything like what you need. I'm hoarding all the forgiveness for myself and not have, passing out anymore. Thank you, Jesus. You can stop. You can take one. That's right. That's for helping me out. Thank you, Jesus. You can take one too, Don. I'll give you one I haven't opened yet. No, this is the one I opened right here. Thank you. And we do that so often, being a follower of Jesus, having been offered this massive amount of forgiveness. We hold it back sometimes from somebody else. You say, but preacher man, you don't know what this person did. Like, you, you ain't got no idea. The depths and maliciousness and the wound and the scar that is there, you, you, you don't know. No, I don't. I don't know what you've been through. But I do know 
my own sin. I do know the wounds that I put in Jesus. I do know what I have done to Jesus. And I do know that he still gave me forgiveness. And even in those moments when I have somebody that I need to forgive, he has already forgiven me the unforgiveness that I'm holding in my heart. Try to wrap your head around that one. The unforgiveness that we hold and, and, and not offering forgiveness, he's already forgiven us of that. Offered us forgiveness for our unforgiveness. You see, a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, we should have quick draw forgiveness. We should just be able to just draw it out and offer forgiveness to anybody and everybody. Like, you get forgiveness and you get forgiveness and you get forgiveness. I'm not going to throw water at you, don't worry. None of y'all sit close enough to be in the splash zone anyway. Caleb would be the only one who gets away. We should just offer it freely and, and, and unconditionally, yes, because Jesus gave us forgiveness unconditionally. But the thing is, too, we have to be quick to offer forgiveness. We've got to be quick to give it out. Because if unforgiveness is allowed to sit within us for any length of time, it begins to poison our heart. It begins to poison our heart. A famous preacher once said, unforgiveness is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness poisons your heart. And the longer you allow it to sit within you, the deeper it goes. And the deeper it goes, it can become bitterness. And bitterness doesn't come out easy. Bitterness has to be surgically dug out to the point of amputation. And the wound that comes from digging out bitterness is a scar that you'll have for the rest of your life. you got to dig it out before it gets that deep. Dig it out before it is a wound that you carry around. You may always feel the hurt of the scenario and the situation and the difficulty, but that doesn't mean you can't offer forgiveness. The hurt may still be there. And if you dwell on that situation and that circumstance for any length of time, it's going to well back up and the wound will open up again. And you know it. You can feel it right now. Your cheeks are getting hot. Your heart's beating fast. Like, I, I, I know I've got to forgive. I mean, he says it. Forgive. Forgive unlimited. Forgive as God in Christ forgave me. I mean, he, he forgave me this massive debt against him. Anything and everything, stuff that I haven't even done yet, he's already forgiven me of. One forgiveness he gave for all time. And if I sit down and just think about the forgiveness he offered me, it is, almost, it is overwhelming. But then I sit there and I think, am I, am I clogging the forgiveness he's giving? I mean, if I gave out, I mean, like, I gave forgiveness. I gave forgiveness in the form of water. Yeah, I gave, but there's still more to be coming. No matter how, I'm never going to run out. But giving forgiveness also, somewhere in our minds, we almost think like if I give that person forgiveness, I'm giving them power. I'm giving up what I'm holding over them. I'm giving up the control of the scenario. And that's going to let them off the hook. That's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness in response to the love of Jesus is about him and not them. Because we have received so much forgiveness 
It's not on us to keep it, to keep it bottled up. It's on us to give it out to anybody and everybody. God forgave us this massive debt against him. And and the the closing of Jesus' parable gives us this idea that this massive debt we've had forgiven it's then unimaginable for a believer to refuse to forgive someone else's offense. That if compared to the debt we owe Jesus is minuscule in reality. Even it hurts. I'm not trying to downplay what somebody's been through at all. The thing you've been through that that you're feeling convicted in the moment to forgive has been, some of you, massively traumatizing. And has changed your personality because it was so deep. But forgiveness is freedom. It's freedom. I remember there was that one particular person some number number of years ago. Didn't even have kids at the time. Can't even imagine a time any longer when I had, didn't have kids. But there was something that happened, and I held on to unforgiveness for a while because of this thing that happened. It wasn't fair, I didn't, or I didn't feel like it was fair. It wasn't right. It should not have been done. That's not how you do things as a follower of Christ. And I didn't realize that I moved on and did other things, and I saw this person again a number of years later and didn't realize that those feelings were still there. I had just taken the unforgiveness and moved on from it and not addressed it. And I had done that thing I mentioned earlier, taken it, put it in a locked room in my heart, shut the door, because I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to think about it. It hurt too much. But in doing that, it had developed into bitterness. It had. I'd allowed it to fester and grow and become something I didn't like to see in my own heart. And I had to do something there in that moment in realizing this, feeling it, rare its ugly head I had to get with Jesus and say I need to forgive I need to forgive he brought I mean this passage of scripture I need to forgive because forgiveness isn't a feeling forgiveness isn't something you even do to bring reconciliation between two people forgiveness is something you do because of what Jesus did for you forgiveness is a decision even when you don't feel like it even when you don't like it. Forgiveness is a decision. Jesus made a decision to forgive anybody who believes. He made the decision. Jesus chose to follow God's plan to die and raise from the dead so that forgiveness could be offered to the whole world, to everybody. He decided to do that in response to our sin. And so his decision to forgive us in the same way in the parable the king forgave the massive debt of the first servant 
should then flow through us and out of our, uh, that interaction with Jesus, we should then decide to forgive other people. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's hard. Yes, sometimes you've got to say 10,000 times a day, yes, I forgive that person. I know the thoughts are coming. I forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive them. Jesus, give me more scripture. Jesus, I'm just going to read your Bible because I don't want to think about other things because thinking about other things makes me feel unforgiving and I don't want to feel unforgiving because I don't want to be bitter and I don't want to turn into the person I don't recognize. I want to forgive. I forgive them, Jesus. I forgive them. Jesus, I'm going to read this passage. I forgive. I'm going to see what you did for me, Jesus. I'm just going to read the Gospels, Jesus, and I'm going to forgive them because we don't want to sit in silence for too long because sitting in silence for too long allows those thoughts to come back and those thoughts come back because we don't have freedom yet. Freedom is a release. Forgiveness brings that release. And we can discover something. Discover something about ourselves and discover something about Jesus because forgiveness is a decision. That first servant chose not to forgive. He chose not to forgive. Even though the king chose to forgive him. He chose not to forgive. He chose not to offer that forgiveness. Jesus chose to forgive you of everything. 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 Even if you have not yet forgiven yourself for something and you're harboring it and it's still there, you don't even talk about it to anybody and it's still floating around there in the back of your mind, that, that unforgiveness even of yourself. Jesus has already forgiven you for that. And so anything that then, that would cling to unforgiveness is not from Jesus. It's a foothold of the enemy to try to mess you up and trip you up and get you out of line where God got you to be. It's placing yourself in the enemy's bondage. And what forgiveness does is it sets you free in a way you don't know until you experience it. And once you've experienced it, it is overwhelming. Once you walk it, it, it <laughs> it's a path you never want to go, go back on. You want to continue moving forward. And so the forgiveness that we have to decide to offer. And some of you right now in the room, I, I could see it on your faces as we started talking to this. You started shrinking and your head started going down. You didn't want to make eye contact. And you're like, I know a name that Jesus has put in my mind and I, you're wrestling. I don't want to forgive him. I just, oh, Jesus, come on, man. Just, let's talk about something besides forgiveness. I mean, come on. Let's just, let's, let's talk about, that's, that's Psalm 23, you know. Uh, I just want to just walk by the still waters and, you know, I just want to do the, the, you know, the happy, you know, everything and bring me joy, Jesus. And I don't want to deal with this forgiveness stuff because it hurts. I want to open that door. I don't want to go in that room. I don't want to, Jesus, it's, it's too hard, Jesus. It's just, it's, it's difficult. But Jesus didn't call us to an easy life. He didn't call us to an easy life. He called us to walk the road he set before us, even if it's a bumpy road, even if it's a difficult road, even if the road is paved with the forgiveness you have to offer every single day to somebody who's made the same choice 10,000 times. How much forgiveness do you have waiting for them? That doesn't mean you're naive by any shape of the imagination. But what 
the words of Jesus are telling us is forgiveness still needs to be offered. And that thing you're holding on to, not letting go of, if you don't offer forgiveness for that thing, let me give you some advice. If you don't offer forgiveness for that thing, you're going to pass that feeling on to the next generation. And it will be instilled in them. That bitterness, that anger, that unforgiveness. That's why you want to be truthful. That sin is the very reason racism still exists because it's not dealt with and stopped before it's passed on. Make a decision today. I'm going to decide to forgive. I, 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 I don't feel like it. <laughs> I may feel like I wish God would just zap them. Be like in the Old Testament. Just open up the earth and swallow them whole. I just want to get out of this mess. But forgiveness isn't a way out. <laughs> it's a pathway through that is lined with the streets of gold and will bring you peace, resolution, and honestly power in the spirit. So whomever it is the Lord has placed on your mind right now to forgive, decide to forgive. Forgiveness is a choice based on God's forgiveness, motivated by Christ's love and empowered by the spirit's strength. You can't do it on your own. You need the spirit of God to guide you strengthen you, and make it possible. Will you decide to forgive today? Maybe the person you need to forgive is living in your house. Maybe it's something deep, something that you've held on to for decades. Maybe the thing you need to forgive is something petty. Maybe it's your neighbor's tree that keeps hanging over your yard. Maybe it's the fact that you can't even ever find your TV remote. You need to forgive your kids. Maybe it's something that you don't talk about because nobody talks about that kind of stuff. And you need to get help. It starts with forgiveness. And it may start with talking to somebody, a professional, about that help. You decide to forgive. So who is someone you need to forgive today? Who is someone you need to forgive? Maybe it is yourself. And you didn't realize that those feelings were still there. But you need to bring that forgiveness and offer it. Maybe you need to receive Christ's forgiveness today for the first time. Maybe you need to receive Christ's forgiveness. You need to, to come to him and say, I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all my sins, all of them, would be forgiven. And I believe he rose from the dead so that I can live after I die. And if you need to believe that today, then this is the moment. Don't walk out of here unforgiven. Accept that forgiveness now and believe in Jesus and find resolution and find salvation. If you're watching online, believe in Jesus. Click the button below that says, I made a decision. Make that decision today and believe in Jesus. Accept that forgiveness. Maybe you even need to go to somebody and say, I need you to forgive me. Maybe that's the thing that the Lord's been putting on your heart as we've been talking. You need to say, I know I did that thing, but I'm not the same person I was. 
and, and I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me because I've been forgiven by Jesus. And a part of that is realizing moments where I do things that hurt other people. And I, 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 I'm offering my apology. Maybe that's where you are right now. Whether it's that or, or offering forgiveness for yourself or offering forgiveness for somebody that ha- has deeply hurt you. Forgiveness is not something we can ignore because it does take root and change who God intended us to be. So who needs forgiveness today? 